1: Welcome to the Gastroenteritis Blues. My name is Steve Lippmann. I am with Dan Vopone, Emily Anderson. We have a special crossover episode right now with the Pick a Topic podcast. We have Porter, better known as Trill Bro Dude on Twitter. And once again, we have Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Thank you guys for being here. I'll start with you, Keith. Uh, Are you still in LA or have you gotten out of there yet?
2: Uh, I leave out this evening. So yeah, I'm still here.
1: Got it. And is it very bizarre traveling with the team in this circumstance? Like, is it is it becoming normal to you at this point in the season?
2: Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's, it's different because, um, you know, initially when I first started traveling, like you would go on a plane. There was only like 20 percent people of, uh, you know, a- occupancy on the plane. And then you would go straight to the hotel room. You wouldn't leave the hotel room until it was time of the game you go back to the hotel room and then you go straight to the airport. Like you really couldn't even get anything to eat. So now when I'm starting to see people, I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at all these people. You know, it's just, it's a little different. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's just like, this is what 2020, 2021. So it's like, you know, it's just the new MBA, so to speak.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well uh, the trade deadline just passed and we have a lot of questions about Uh, what you thought of the moves or the moves they they made or the moves they didn't make, and also some of your reporting. So we'll get started with uh, our questions for you uh, right about now.
3: Okay. All right, so I'll take the first one. Uh, So, Keith, um, basically what we were asking was, you know, do you think that Maury not pulling the trigger on the Lowry deal suggests that they have a knowledge that they might be able to pull a bigger move this summer using the same assets that they could have got Kyle Lowry with?
2: Um, it, it, I think they always have their options open. I, I think that came, the reason why they didn't pull the trigger, I think it got to a point where Toronto overplayed his hand. They were just asking for too much. And I mean and if you really wanted like Kyle Lowry, for instance, a lot of people were saying that, you know, yeah, he probably could have came here and Maury would have gave up a lot, but if Kyle wasn't happy, you know, he can still go anywhere in free agency. So you don't want to give up all those assets for a guy who could possibly leave. So I think Toronto overplaying his hands. And the fact that, you know, here's a guy who, had, who um, with an expiring contract who wants a lot. I, I think that that was the reason they didn't do it. Not because they may have something else coming, but I think they just didn't want to look bad and, or, and overpay for that guy.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I've i been thinking about it. And the fact that you couldn't extend him immediately when he was traded probably played a big part in everything. Uh, you know, normally in these circumstances, you can work with the player before they're even traded to your team if you're given permission by the team. Uh, but in this circumstance, because of Lowry's deal, he was only on They they basically kept doing that one year extension, one up, one up, one up it makes it so that you can't extend, uh, any further in terms of, uh, you know, his bird rights won't be able to be used until this off season. So it it makes a lot of sense that they went in that direction. I know a a few fans are upset, but, uh, you know, there were some reports that also came out that basically said, uh, you know, I believe it was Sam Amick of the athletic, uh, said that, uh, Draft compensation was part of what made the deal fall through. Did you hear anything about that? Because I know that you reported that Thibel was a big part of why the deal fell through, which we all agreed made more sense than future draft compensation. So, so what did you hear? And, and what do you think of that?
2: You know, well, here's the thing, like what they wanted was, they wanted two players, two young players. They also wanted a rotation player um, included. You know, who could be a starter or another rotation guy, and they wanted two first round draft picks, right? Now, but then if you gave them a high second, you know, if it was the best offer, you you could have gotten that as well. So I mean, the stipulation was see the thing is they really wanted, I guess you could say draft compensation, but they wanted Matisse Thaible and they wanted Tyler Hillrow included in these packages. And then there's also a guy from a young guy from the Lakers who they wanted as well. Now yeah, I'm Taylor here to Horton tell you, Tucker. Yeah. If they would have got one of those guys, one of the three, um, Kyle Lowry would be a a Laker. If they got Horton Tucker, if they would have got um, hero, he would have been a Miami heat. And if he would have got maxi, you know, I understand what they are saying these draft conversations, but we also have to be real like the Lakers <laughs> and the Sixers, the draft compensation that you're going to get is really, it really isn't going to be that good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were really wanted these young guys. That's what it was. And I think the fact that they had teams interested in Kyle, I just think that the guy overplayed his hand. I mean, great. He's a great president. Yeah. But I think in this instance, he overplayed his hands.
3: Yeah. And he talked about afterwards, he kept saying, you know, all the offers we were getting, like, I think there's a sentimental value of having Kyle Lowry in Toronto, like, he is the best player in their franchise history in terms of legacy. You know, they've had more talented players, Kawhi Leonard, Chris Bosh, but the fact that he wasn't blown away by an offer after you see what drew holiday goes for and you see what, um, you know, pretty much any B level star goes for nowadays, they're getting blown away in terms of draft compensation and young players and all that stuff. So it makes sense to me that he would walk away, but I, I t- tend to agree with you that he did overplay his hand. Um, I think Dan, you were next up with your question. Well,
2: let me say yeah. one thing though, real so, quick. Yeah. One thing, real quick. This is one thing that he also didn't trade him to. Now he's probably going to get a sign and trade for sure. You know what I mean? He's going to get a sign and trade, and he'll get something better than what he thought he was going to get. So, my bad. You ready, Dan? I am ready. Yeah, no worries. So I was, I was wondering, like, just
4: looking at. The rumored packages that they were asking for from from the different teams it felt like the Sixers were being asked a lot more um I don't know if that's just a comment on more of how they value the Sixers younger players versus these other teams younger players but uh like the Lakers package especially like I, I like and Horton Tucker but they weren't asking for from what I just read on Twitter as the rumors for a, a ton of On top of that, where as the Sixers were supposed to give up like five genuine assets. Um, And at first I thought like that's probably just their starting price. They'll negotiate down. But everything we've heard since from you, from others is saying like, no, that's really what they wanted. Like that was it was that or not enough. Um, Did the Sixers feel like the asking price for Lowry was higher than other teams? Obviously, we've seen that before, which is kind of what it felt like with the Harden deal. Um, Was there any sense of
2: that going on? I think here's the problem with the Sixers. The the problem is the Sixers, when you look at their salary, they're so top heavy. You know what I mean? Like you got, uh, uh, what is it? Um, uh, Tobias making 34. I'm just throwing up Ben making 30, Joel making 29. You're not getting rid of them. So you have those guys. And then all of a sudden you have a guy like a Danny Green making 15. And then a lot of other guys that's not really making a lot of money. So unfortunately for the Sixers, unless they got a, a third team involved which they were trying to get the Golden State Warriors involved right um i mean they even like reached out to like teams like the Spurs a lot of these other squads who have salary cap um but the thing is in order it, like since their salary situation was the way it was it seemed like they would have to give up more than anyone else just because they couldn't really fit it in unless they got a third team involved so that's what it felt like and yeah you're right i mean you know, it's one of those things where you're going to have to give up some rotation players. Now, again, I will give Daryl Morey credit. Um, He went out there in the preseason and he acquired guys. And you're saying to yourself, how come they're not playing? Well, because he was waiting to use them as trade chips, you know. and and But the problem is that a lot of these guys, some teams just didn't want, you know, they, they didn't want these guys. But at the same time, yeah, I think that the salary situation, the reason why Tobias, Ben, and Joel making so much money, you got three max level guys. That's rare for teams. And so you have to give up more assets to make it work. You know? Um, Dan mentioned the
1: hard trade. Uh, I wanted to get your read on just one final time. That situation, it seems like there's a lot of reporting that suggests that Tillman Fertitta, at the end of the day, no matter what, was not going to trade James Harden back to Daryl Morey. Um, I think that Shams Char- Charania of The Athletic reported that he stopped responding to Morey's calls when Morey thought that they were close on a deal. And I think that uh, – I think I believe that you reported that Ben and Matisse Thibel were sort of told to expect the trade to happen. And so is that your read on the situation? Is that, you know, no matter what, Fertitta was just not going to make that deal go through to Philly?
2: Um. Yeah, I, I think that that it has a lot of it, a lot of truth to it. I mean, I, I think you know it got to a point where you know, because from what I what I was told was it was one of those things where you know they were negotiating, going back and forth, but then Daryl never got a return phone call. Like you know, you know, what I mean, like you know, this is what we want. You know, typically you you get to go in and you make a final offer, and I heard that it didn't come. So. Um, you know, I mean, who knows what really happened, but at the same time, it's one of the things where, you know, I think that James wanted to go to Brooklyn too. Like, I mean, from what I was told, it's like, you know, he, he his new agent is a guy who helped him get to Brooklyn. That's what he wanted. He wanted to go there. I mean, him and Kevin Durant are really good friends They worked out in the summer. So, you know, the Sixers could have been used a little bit, who knows? just to bring up the ask, I mean, just to bring up the um, the price a little bit, you know? Yeah.
0: So moving forward, Daryl Moore recently hinted at the Sixers having a buyout target in mind. Do you have any idea who the Sixers nah. are targeting?
2: No. Nah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I know he said someone Doc likes. I mean, it just seems like a lot of the top people are already <laughs> being snagged, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have an idea who that person is.
1: Um, and finally, the the team announced yesterday a bit of an update for Joel Embiid and George Hill, and basically said, I think that at this point, their day to day, they can resume basketball activities. Do you have any sort of gauge on when we might see the two of those guys on the court for the Sixers? You know,
2: this is weird because when you talk to people um, about Joel Embiid, you know, some people say he could possibly return Thursday against um Cleveland mm-hmm. but then when you when you you keep doing the follow-up and asking they like but look a lot of things have to everything has to go right and mm-hmm. it's also the final game of the road trip so he they could bring him back for just that game or they could just wait and see um George Hill I don't think that we'll see George until after the Sixers get back on this road trip you know what I mean the thing about you know Joel it's you know yeah do you want him to play of course but at the same time you know it's it's one of those things that they may just wait and then who knows how joel feels about it like just coming back because he has to get back in shape nothing against joel we all know joel we know that when you know he he takes time off a couple weeks off he has to get back into conditioning he's a big guy so I, i think that factors in but i was told that it could be thursday but the more that i talk to people they keep saying the same people they're like yeah this is what people are telling us other people are saying we don't really know so you know I I think that if if not if not Thursday's game I I do expect them to play next weekend
1: got it okay um before we get you out of here I just thought of another question um for your profession a lot of you know a big part of it seems what you do is you you get sources and you try to gain intel, you know, through, through things that aren't publicly available. Um, how has the pandemic in, impacted your ability to do that? Like, does that change the way you need to work on those sources or acquire those sources or has it basically stayed the same?
2: I mean, it's a, of course it's a little different just because you're not around people. So, you know, typically a lot of times, you know, you'll see someone at a game or, you'll you'll see someone at practice or whatever and you just talk to people. You know, now you find yourself, you know, I'm still on the phone and maybe I'm on the phone more than I have been in the past, you know. But um the the fact is when you're more when you're around a team more and you're around like employees, you know, you just you just get stuff just by basing right. in the conversation. So but um the the thing is it's always important, you know, I always tell like young reporters, that whenever you meet someone, um, you know, just, just always like get their number and 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 strike a relationship with them to a point to where you can call them at any time. You just don't want to call them when there's breaking news because they're not going to give you anything. But mm-hmm. if you if you have that relationship with that person, and then when something happens, sometimes they may call you to let you know what's going on. So yeah. but yeah, but you know, in this age of cell phones and social media and everything. Yes, it's it would be best better to um, to be around a team, but at the same time you can always pick up the phone.
4: That actually just kind of reminded me. I have like maybe one last question here. Um, with the deadline, I think it's like the biggest time for it is where a lot of times stuff gets out that like may or may not be true, and yeah. um, obviously like a big part of your job is you know gauging that kind of information and knowing. Um, you know, I guess even who you can trust with the information that you're given, making sure you know it's not just what the team wants out, but what is actually like legit. Um, is 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 it true that that is like a big challenge around around deadline time, and, oh, and yeah, you see yeah. rumors come out that you're like, I'm hearing the opposite. What's going on?
2: Yeah, if you notice, I didn't chase a lot of that stuff because see, well, this is what happens. A lot of times, executives they use the media leading up to it. You know they'll put something out there and to see who see like okay okay. Such and such is considering trading this guy, so what happens is all the other general managers, they call the one team and say is it true that you're going to trade them. And you know I mean that's how that's how they use they use the media for that and then you'll hear like well this team is considering another guy well sometimes you have to just be careful because. Here's the deal. If it's wrong, right? Let's just say I say someone's going to get traded, or they but if if it if it doesn't happen, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they changed their mind. But if it does happen, then I'm like, you know, I'm this great reporter. You know, I got it right, you know. So, but around this time of year, I'm telling you, especially the days leading up, I mean, you have to um you have to do a lot of research. Like, you know, like when I had that thing that Cal Lowry had the three teams and that he wanted this money, believe me, y'all, when I did that, it wasn't like I, the first person who told me I ran with it. You know, you you you. what you do is you get it and then you like, you know, spend however long it takes for you to get multiple sources that can confirm that and then you go with it. But this time of year, it's easy to just throw something out there. So you got to be careful. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we I feel like we saw a few things.
4: I, I don't I don't want to name names or call anyone out, but we saw a few things from the national media where it was like, "Oh, Kyle Lowry is on the one yard line to Philly or you know, this and that." And it's like, "Well, I didn't hear that from any of the Philly reporters." So, it, it really feels like like teams like were really just using reporters to like first yeah. out their up offers.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's what it is. It's like, "Okay, if he's on the one one yard line for Philly, with with Toronto is saying, okay, Miami, what you got? <laughs> we need Tyler Hero. You know what I mean, right. stuff like that. You know, and then you know with with Kyle coming out because he did want twenty five million per. But basically, that's saying to the teams like, okay, what y'all going to do? Who going to give us thirty? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But yeah, you got you have to be careful. You just have to be careful.
1: Yeah. Um, guys, do we have anything else for Keith before we let him get out of here? We good?
2: I think we're um, good. Keith,
1: Thank you so much for doing this again. Uh, it's always great to talk to you. We'd love to do it again. Have a safe trip back uh, to Philadelphia and uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely want to check in with you pretty soon.
2: All right. Thanks for having me on the pod- podcast and nice meeting you, Porter. Thanks, Keith. And uh, Keith, uh, is there
1: anything that you want us to get out there? You know, is there any particular piece that you wrote that you want to direct people to, anything like that?
2: No, nah, I just want to say that, you know, wherever you guys went to school has a great university, right? But if you have an opportunity to go to Pitt, you need to go. (laughs) That's right.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm gonna edit that part out. Good to see you.
2: All right, bye (laughs) bye. Thank you, buddy.
1: (laughs) Oh, all right. So uh, Keith is the best. He's very kind to us whenever he comes on, and uh, always good to talk to him. And now it's just us. Now we can be our let our freak flags fly. We can be ourselves. Uh, Let's start with the Kyle Lowry thing. We were just talking about it. Uh, it's been a few days since the trade deadline. Um, I'd like to know how you guys are feeling about not doing it. Um, on the subsequent trade deadline podcast on the Low Post, uh, Zach Lowe and Bobby Marks were talking about the Sixers' interest in Lowry, and they basically uh, intimated that the Sixers would have traded Tyrese Maxey for uh, for Kyle Lowry, but they wouldn't have traded M.T. Stival, which I think makes sense when you think about Danny Green having to go too. I'd like to know where you guys are at a few days later. uh, Porter, how do you feel about it, Uh, you know, a few days removed from the deadline?
3: Uh, I mean, I, if you listen to my podcast last week when uh, we were leading up to the deadline, I kind of talked myself out of Kyle Lowry. I just thought it was like a long shot that we would be Number one on his list. I know he's from here, but we've I've talked about it a lot on my podcast. A lot of Philly guys don't want to play at home. I think there's this idea that like, oh, well, they're from Philadelphia. They don't. I'm like, no. There have been guys, Rasheed Wallace, um, uh, Wayne Ellington. Like, there's a long list of guys who have said they basically have no interest in playing at home just because there's a lot of pressure with going home and, and being the guy that is, you know, supposed to carry the hometown team. And you got a lot of people hitting you up for things and, and, you know, all, all the stuff that comes with that. So I, I kind of talked myself out of it because I, first off, I felt like Toronto wasn't going to trade him. And then when it was apparent that they might trade him the night before I was like, okay, maybe this is a reality, but like, are we number one on his list? And, and now, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I'm totally fine with the direction that they went in. Um, I obviously would have loved to have Kyle Lowry. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA. I think he would have been a great fit in the locker room and on the court solve some issues that we might run into in the playoffs. Um, but also like uh, leading up to it, like I, I think one thing that was was being a little bit exaggerated is that like you're not trading for prime Kyle Lowry. Like I think the idea behind the trade was that like you're getting Kyle Lowry. And as I said, he would be a great fit and solve a lot of our playmaking and half court issues. But also on top of that, like you said, you're giving up two rotation players, uh, a prospect and potentially multiple picks, which makes it so that you can't trade future picks for a 35 year old on an expiring contract that if he tears his ACL in the playoffs or for the rest of the season, his career could be over. So for a first year general manager to make that kind of risk, um, I think to me, it's a little bit different than the James Harden situation. Like, I just don't think that they're the same in terms of like the upside and in terms of the risk. Like, I just think that they're completely different situations. So I I like the George Hill move. We'll talk more about that, but that's just kind of my feel right now. Um, I wrote a piece on uh, Liberty ball. It's like, a couple months ago about how i wanted
1: kyle larry to come back to philly and he would be a good trade target part of that piece though was me thinking that because of his age and his contract situation you would get him at somewhat of a discount especially Absolutely. if he would like to be in philly the day of the deadline it seemed very clear that that wasn't happening that like the you know the one the the reported trade that was out there that was that they wanted Matisse Maxi and two first-round picks, and of course you have to trade Danny Green to match salaries. There's just you know, there's a point at which you're you're really really overpaying for a guy who isn't in his prime. You know, I agree. When a, when a superstar in their prime is on the market, you really can't overpay. You know, you just have to do what you can. um But I don't think this was that situation. Emily, what do you think? uh You know, where where are you at today with with not having Lowry here?
0: I'm okay with it. Um... I feel like Daryl Morey has made me feel a lot better about it. I I just really buy into the, you know, we could have gone all in this year and really mortgaged our future by giving up all these young players and it's not something that the Sixers are willing to do. And, I mean, I'm not willing to do it either especially if Lowry's gonna leave in the offseason like it kind of happened to a lesser degree with the Jimmy Butler trade we had him for you know a little bit and we got rid of Cove and Dario and all these people that everyone loves and then he was (laughs) gone and then it's like where we don't have them anymore these people that we miss and I it was that was a painful moment in my life and I didn't want to go through it again so I'm happy to not have to
1: yeah um you point you sort of alluded to a a big part of it which Maury uh said himself which is that they basically keep their powder dry you know they do have young guys and unlike a lot of contenders they're pretty uh pick neutral in terms of like they haven't sent out a million first round picks uh in recent years they sent out the 2025 one for al horford and um but other than that they're they're in a decent position in terms of their young guys and draft capital dan uh i think that you know on the day you certainly wanted them as i did where are you at today
4: yeah, I, I feel like fine about it today. Um, I mean, if you would have asked me a week before the deadline, I would have said, you know, I didn't think there was a chance we got him anyway. Um, even a couple days before it seemed like, Oh geez, he might be going to the Lakers or the heat. Um, he would be a tough matchup in conference. And then Lakers, if we, if we somehow managed to get past Brooklyn, now we have Lowry on top of James and and Davis. And it was like, I would hate to see him on either of those teams uh if he's if he can't be here. So I was a little disappointed the day of just because all the rumors were saying, you know, the, the Sixers are so close, they're really close to a Lowry deal, uh, at least the national rumors that I alluded to earlier. Um, and then then they were definitely not trading for him. And then maybe they were, and the trade call was going past three, and then nothing happened. I was a little bummed, but looking back, I mean, I think it's it's better than I could have expected a few weeks ago um, when I thought like maybe not a few weeks ago because I was before they lost all these games but you know maybe a week ago when it was like I thought he'd be moved and I thought he'd be moved to a team that we don't want to move to um, I, I agree that it was the right move to not trade from the package was way too much um, I'm not even sure it makes us better giving up all those guys like especially if we're giving up and Um mm-hmm. and yeah it's just it's not similar to the Harden situation I mean during, you know, the whole Harden thing, I was basically like, you should give him anyone you want. Give him anyone, anyone you want besides Embiid. He's, to me, he's that level of player. Um, he's, I mean, since he's got to Brooklyn, he's been arguably the best player in the NBA. And that's the kind of player you do that for. You don't do that for a player, even half a tier below that. And Lowry's probably at least a full tier, a couple tiers below what Harden is now. Uh, and you you can't do that for that player. So as much as it would have been fun and it would have been great to see him come home, and, like, for the right deal, he made us better. This was just not fitting that situation. And so George Hill is a good pickup for, for what that ended up being. And Lowry going nowhere at all and staying on that shitty Toronto team is excellent.
3: Yeah, it would have hurt a lot more if he ended up on the Heat. Like, if he goes to the Heat, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, you're like, great. He, and then also, um, I'm not positive. if the, I think they would have, if, the, if they were willing to trade Drajic in terms of um, – just salary matching, they would have been able to acquire Depot for nothing and then also get Kyle Lowry. I would have been like, oh, this is a complete disaster. But the fact that he didn't go there, I wish that I could give someone credit for this, but I I saw someone on Twitter say that uh, Pat Riley makes every trade as if he's going to die tomorrow and he uh, <laughs> still didn't want to do this trade. So that kind of gives you an idea of how much Masai was asking for and as I said before it makes a lot of sense he was your franchise cornerstone second best player on a title team like I totally understand why they would think that but there seems to be this sentiment among Raptors fans that it was like this like 4D chess move by Masai like oh don't get into negotiations with Masai and then I'm like he didn't do anything like what (laughs)
4: Like the guy's gonna wall. He's not
3: like, yeah, like he and like, here's the thing he might be able to get a sign and trade, as Keith said. But my idea behind that is if he gets a sign and trade, let's say the Heat didn't make this move because they want to hold on to Hero and because they could do a sign and trade this summer and maybe hold on to Hero. Well, you're still not getting back the same value because Miami could just figure out a way to just move some stuff around and get cap space without having to move anyone in a sign and trade. I think now they, it would be preferable. They'll
1: have cap space. They also, will. depending on what they want to do with Oladipo, but they will right. have cap space for somebody.
3: So they could essentially, what they could do is, well, Duncan Robinson's cap hold is very low, um, and they do have his bird rights. So I believe if they if they wanted to hold on to him and sign Lowry, they could. Now, when it comes to having Oladipo, too, they have a bunch of options on Igadala and Drajic and all, all these guys that are probably going to be either gone or signed to team friendly deals for the next year. So they have the ability to do that. But my my whole thing was like, we're like, we're like, Masai is an amazing GM. And like, he took one of the biggest risks of all time uh, trading for Kawhi Leonard a few years ago, who didn't even want to be there, was coming off this massive injury and they end up winning a title because of it. And it, it takes him from this like good GM to like immortal GM in a lot of people's eyes. And like, just because he did some great things doesn't mean that he's completely untouchable. And like, this was not, he didn't do anything. Like, why <laughs> Why are we acting as if it's like, oh my God, how, how could, how could he pull it off again? And I'm like, he just, he did nothing. I'm not giving him any credit.
1: <laughs> you know, the other part to this Lowry discussion is that you know, Danny Green becomes an afterthought in these like trade uh, machine stuff because it's like, okay, well, you gotta put Danny Green, and then what else do you have to include right. that, that the Raptors would actually want? The thing about Danny Green though is that he's been excellent uh mm-hmm. for a while now. Um, he's a good defender, like he can get exposed a little bit if he's on a smaller guard who can run past him. But uh I wanted to Spike Eskin tweeted that Danny Green has made this is prior to the Clippers game, uh, but Danny made five in that one too. Uh, Danny Green has made the same number of threes this year as Luka Doncic and Lonzo Ball. He has made more threes than James Harden, Joe Ingles, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Lowry, Jalen Brown, LeBron James, J.J. Redick, Chris Middleton, Kyrie Irving, and Bradley Beal. So I just think having a guy like him who just jacks threes and hits them at a high rate, um, I think he's incredibly useful to this team. And and I you know I would bet that unless things go really south with him, they try to keep him around for a couple more years because he's a really nice fit with both Ben and Joel. Um, Emily, uh, in terms of Danny, have you warmed to him recently more than uh, maybe earlier in the year? What do you think about Danny?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, he's just been really, maybe I've just noticed it more recently since he wasn't traded, but he's been like lights out from that corner three in on this road trip. And I found myself thinking like, really glad we didn't get rid of this guy because he has the ability to kind of like either put a dagger in a game with a three or really give you that spark to like make a run, uh, you know, an eight nothing run to pull the Sixers back into a game. And sure. A lot of people have that ability, but it's nice when you have that guy. And so I was like, I'm kind of glad we didn't get rid of him. I I like having him here.
1: Dan, are you, are you on the same uh, boat there?
4: Yeah, I mean, Danny Green especially lately has been really really good. Um he's finally up over 40% from 3, which is I know he's like historically been pretty streaky and has had years far over 40 and years far below 40. Um mm-hmm. I was a little concerned that, you know, he got off to a tough start and he shot only like 36.7% last season. So, um I was, you know, thinking well could be a little bit, you know, he's getting older. He's 33 now. He's not maybe he's definitely not the player he once was especially defensively but he's still good enough um but how good is good enough against the the Nets big three is still to be seen but he's played really well and he's really making his shots lately which is huge for the Sixers I think that um if we get into like are the Sixers contenders like that basically boils down to obviously like Ken Dwight or not Dwight Ken Tobias and Joel keep this kind of play up that they've been, you know, hit levels that we've never seen the map before. But I think a really big thing is can Seth Curry and Danny Green make their threes um, because I, I think that that's, that changes everything for this team. And they're like the two guys that you're relying on for that three point production.
3: And what about you Porter? Where are you at with Danny? Uh, my, my whole thing with Danny was kind of similar to what Dan was saying in terms of like I was a little bit worried that maybe his shot and his uh you know ability to get shots up quickly uh was starting to go. Um it, it, the thing with, with guys like him, and it's very similar to Robert Covington. Is that when you have guys who, uh, you know, can't create their own shot uh, and rely on other guys for creating their offense for them, largely, I mean, there are very few things outside of shooting threes that either of those guys can do, that uh, basically when you're cold from three, it makes you look like the worst player in the NBA Uh, which is like, obviously not true. They're both good players and they're highly valuable in their roles to the teams. I mean, Danny Green has now won three titles. He's been to even more finals. And there's like a part of like, he's always a part of these really good teams. And I think there is something to that. Like, I don't think that that's something that should be overlooked. Like there's a reason why contenders are always like, let's go get Danny Green. That's why like an organization like the Warriors is coming off a dynasty and was just interested in trading for Danny Green, the Lakers, the Raptors Spurs, Now the Sixers, like teams that are trying to contend for titles are always interested in him. My thing about just Danny and like the three-point shooting and uh, like the team in general that would have Kyle Lowry probably would have benefited them a little bit more is he's a good pull-up three-point shooter and the Sixers don't really have any willing and good three-point shooters court boss is probably your most willing one. And if that's the case, he might not even be in the rotation in the playoffs. I would imagine he's not. So, although technically Joel is by the numbers this year, but, um, but I think we could all say that uh, having a guy who can just create his own three-point shot probably would benefit this offense a lot more than having a ton of really good catch and shoot guys. But the catch and shoot numbers are insane right now. I mean, Danny, Seth, Tobias and George Hill are all well over 40% on catch and shoot threes which is like the guys that you want to put around Ben and uh and Joel and the big thing about that in you know Spadi and all the role players especially you know George Hill who we just hired they're all not like JJ Redick they're they're not defensive liabilities like Seth Curry is probably the biggest defensive liability out of the guys that I mentioned. And that's only because of his size. It doesn't mean that he's a bad defender. He'll get picked on because of his size, but I think that that's where George Hill gives you a little bit more flexibility with the lineups and you can close with maybe Danny and him. If you need some stops down the stretch. So love Danny's play recently. And I think that George Hill and him being boys from back in the day at the Spurs is only going to continue to raise the vibes.
1: Yeah, um, you bring us right into a George Hill discussion, which is perfect. Um, Listeners know this is the Gastroenteritis Blues. Uh, That brings us right into something about George Hill that you tweeted about at uh, Trill Bro Dude. Uh, I don't remember which article this is from, but this was uh, uncovered last year. We found out about a pregame ritual that George Hill has. I'm quoting him here. I take a shit every time before the game. I've been doing it for the last four years. If you go back and watch any footage of our previous games before we came down here to this bubble, that's what I do before every game. So we can talk about the shitting or we can talk about the playing, whatever you want to do. Uh, George Hill shits before every single game, I think is a hilarious bit that he's doing. Um, What do you think about acquiring him? What do you think about his ritual? And uh, what do you think about his fit with the team, Dan?
4: Yeah, I think that's excellent. So that was, I guess, dug back up by... Elbow on Twitter, and um, I guess I, I think that's how you would say that yeah, uh, but- out loud. That's just that's how I type it. Okay, um, and then, um, but I think it's excellent because first of all, it ties in well with the, the name of our podcast. <laughs> but also, I think it's just a great thing to do. I mean, who doesn't love to take a good shit? First of all, um to lose some weight before the game, he's going to be lighter on his feet. He's not going to have to go mid-game. So I think that like all around, this is a good ritual. I don't know why more guys aren't doing this because, because really, I can't see how you would even play if you haven't taken your pregame shit. I think that this is a beautiful thing he does. I hope that he gets more Sixers to start taking pregame shit. Yeah, Paul Speaking Pierce could vibes. have learned a lesson from him. Yes, he Paul could Paul Pierce have... should have gone pregame. There you go.
1: Speaking of vibes, they could all get together and shit before each game, and now we're now we're having fun. Uh, Porter, what do you think about George Hill? And, uh, you know, you alluded to his, uh, you know, on court stuff and the way that I think he'll be able to close some lineups depending on
3: the matchup. What do you think? Well, I—I I mean, first off, the the shitting element of it, of it all is fantastic. As a, as a fellow IBS king, like I just <laughs> I I totally stand anyone who will just openly talk about this before a game. And actually, the context of that quote was they asked him why he didn't come out for the national anthem because he was staying in the locker room. So, right. adds another layer of why I think he's awesome to do it. But, um, basically. Uh, you know, I, I, I really like George Hill's fit a lot. I think the one thing that has been misconstrued a little bit is kind of how he is as a player. Like I think earlier in his career, people think of Indiana, George Hill, when they think of him, as opposed to like Milwaukee, George Hill, which is probably more of the role that he'll be playing with the Sixers when he was with Indiana and Utah, San Antonio, he was more of an on ball point guard that was creating offense in the half court. His usage rates were in the mid twenties, more just a traditional, traditional point guard. And now as he's gotten a little bit older, he's, he's focused to be a little bit more kind of in that shake Milton slash Seth Curry role, which is essentially he can play on the ball, but he's not necessarily your primary initiator in the half court. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's just a absolutely deadly catch and shoot three point guy. Like he's shooting 48% on them this year. Uh, the past few years he shot somewhere in, uh, I, I believe he shot 45%. He led the NBA in three point shooting last year was even able to hit pull up jumpers in a way that he hasn't in his career. So that might've been a little bit of an outlier, but from a catch and shoot perspective, Uh, he just gives you another guy that can bring that element to the team. And as we know, like in the playoffs, Joel's going to get doubled all the time. And like, if you're just constantly having either Ben who can play, make and create on the fly, or you're having a guy like George Hill, who you trust to either catch and shoot. And he's just has that natural reflex, or he can then create his own shot because he was a point guard at one point, um, that I think that that's just like a fantastic fit. Now, do you guys remember prior to the season, like there were rumors that, well, maybe they weren't rumors, but everyone on Sixers Twitter was like, can we just get George Hill in this Al Horford trade? Because he was being sent to Oklahoma city and we were like, he would be a perfect fit. Like he was a six man of the year candidate last year before his injury was arguably the one of the best bench players in the NBA and has been to so many conference finals and finals. And we were just like, he would be a perfect fit. And now Flash forward to now and he's on the team and I just I absolutely love the fit I can't I, I think that Maury and and Doc did a great uh, job of just identifying someone that would fit with the culture and fit with the team so well
1: yeah Emily are you uh are you on board with George Hill as well
0: yeah I'm I'm definitely on board with George Hill um I also think that he will just like fit in with the team both on the court and off the court um I know Danny Green had a quote saying that he was really excited he played with him on the spurs for like a hot second and they work out in the off season together and they hang out and we know that danny green is king of the vibes and the post-game party so if he <laughs> would like if he signs off on george hill then i sign off on george hill um in terms of the vibes fit which personally is the most important thing
1: yeah um so darryl morey spoke the other day after the deadline he mentioned that right now, on paper, otherwise Brooklyn would be deemed the favorite. Um, he doesn't seem to be afraid to say that, uh, while saying, I'm sure that you know the Sixers. He think have a have a good shot. I wanted to talk about how, after the deadline, now how do the Sixers match up? Um, certainly, offensive firepower they can't match them in that way. But in terms of guarding them, uh, Mark Whittington tweeted uh, recently. I believe he's a former Liberty baller. He said it's hard to argue that the Nets aren't favorites in the East, but if you were to draw up a team to beat them, it would basically be the Sixers. Best perimeter defender in the league, three additional above average to great perimeter defenders, and a superstar at Brooklyn's weakest position. Um, I think that that carries a lot of weight. I think he makes a good point. Um, I wouldn't blame people for choosing Brooklyn, but you know, if a team were to have a chance, it seems like it might be the Sixers. Emily, where are you at with that? And, uh, you know, do you agree with what Mark was sort of putting forward there?
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Agree. We've talked about it um before when we were talking about, you know, what do we include Matisse in a Lowry trade? And we have said like, well, he's that, that third defender that can like lock someone down on the perimeter or wherever that you need because of the Brooklyn big three. And like, obviously he doesn't bring the offense, but at a certain point when you need someone to get stops you need those people in the game so I think that the way Mark lined it up is pretty accurate and yeah Brooklyn has like no one at center they just keep like bringing in old centers and I'm like are these people supposed to like stop Joel because that's not gonna occur um yeah you definitely the Sixers don't have the offensive firepower but the way you stop offenses with defense and the Sixers have I think that like one of the best defenses, if not the best, I don't know. I think they're, they're either they one might, or two. I'm
1: not sure. Yeah. Yeah. they're, yeah, they're two And they've been really good without West.
0: Joel too. So, I mean, that's the way that you stop offense, like basically. Um, and the other thing is, is I know that, you know, Kyrie and James Harden and Kevin Durant are elite, elite offensive players, but. They haven't played together a lot. And as we say, as I say, like the chemistry on the Sixers team is elite this season and like, especially compared to last season. And I'm not saying that those three guys can't play together, but there is something to only have played like 180 minutes together versus how many minutes the Sixers starting five have played together. There's, I mean, they might, they'll get it together in the playoffs, but it is something to keep an eye on. And I don't know when Durant's coming back.
1: Yeah, uh, one team that ran into this was the Clippers last year, who they just, like, never really got it going, and they weren't on the court together, as in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I think Brooklyn's a lot better than that team was, but still, I think that there's there's value in, you know, figuring it out during the regular season. Uh, Porter,
3: what do you think about the Sixers' chances on paper against Brooklyn? I mean, I think Brooklyn is clearly the favorite. I don't think that there would be anyone, like, there seems to be this, this idea that, like, uh, you know, Oh, Sixers fans aren't being realistic. And then I'm like, no, we, we all agree that like when you have three offensive players that can all create their own shot, that can all play, make to a certain point can all hit difficult shots um, and, you know, set up their teammates. It, it's going to be incredibly hard to beat the Nets. Like, I don't think that anyone is denying that, but as, as you said, what Mark, Mark was saying, it's like, I I do believe that the Sixers, if they can turn these games into a rock fight, essentially slow down the nets and like, you know, Kyrie has been awesome this year. Harden has been awesome this year. Katie, when he's been healthy has also been, but it's not to say that Harden hasn't had his struggles in the playoffs when the game slows down, you would think that James Harden, would uh you know really step up to the challenge cuz his game is completely slowed down but when you put a, def- a perimeter defender like Ben Simmons on him i do wonder if that can stall a little bit of their offense um as emily said like they are the, everything is essentially running through james harden right now and they have guys like you know Blake that can catch lobs and Deandre Jordan who can catch lobs and that stuff and he's one of the he's probably the best lob thrower of all time no disrespect to chris paul but like Basically, when they're bringing in these like veteran guys, those two plus now LaMarcus Aldridge, like my thing is, I think that those players might be able to have some sort of value, but like, what are you doing with the Bruce Browns and the, and the Claxton's and the guys that are like, there are, there's a reason why role players are important. And like, they will do the things that your stars don't want to do. Now are these guys who have been stars their whole career, basically now going to go, Oh, we'll be those guys. We'll, we'll do the little dirty work. Like I, I don't necessarily know if, if that is the case. Like I, I think that you might be better off trying to get more role guys. Like they, they got Bruce Brown for nothing and turned him into a fantastic role player. He was already pretty decent before. Don't get me wrong. But like, my thing is with the Sixers, like. I think that everyone on this team knows their role. And as Dan said, if Embiid and Tobias can continue to play at the level that they've played, plus you add in all the shooting around them, I do think that they have a shot. Like, I, I would pick the Nets in a series today, but as Emily said with the chemistry thing, like, when is Kevin Durant coming back? Like, he has a hamstring injury, which is known for being this nagging injury and can tend to linger. Like we saw it with Josh Richardson last year, where like he was coming in and, and getting injured. And then oh, the, yeah. and all these, all these guys like will, will be out for, you know, a few weeks, then they come back and then they tweak it. And like, they're, they seem to be very careful with him, but will that affect their chemistry? It's possible. I mean, it's definitely possible. Do we yeah. Think Jen, the six are, oh, oh, sorry. I was going to
0: say, and Dan can answer this. Do we think the Sixers are the clear number two? I see a lot of, I personally in the East, do. You're yeah in the East. Um, but I just see a lot of things like people like love to talk up the Bucks and like the Bucks beat the Sixers and like I I just don't I don't think the
3: without Bucks Joel Embiid
0: yeah like <laughs> and they took them to overtime
3: yeah
0: um like I just don't think the I mean I don't I think the Bucks are good I think the Sixers are much better at full strength but like I just you know. I just think people hate Philadelphia, but I just didn't know what you guys thought. <laughs> yeah.
4: I mean, I, I, I agree with you that the Sixers, I, I think the Sixers are better than the Bucks. Um, especially, I think the big, especially here is Tobias playing this well. Um, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I don't think anyone really saw coming, coming into the year and it's completely changed, especially my outlook on this team. I was low on the team coming in. Um, and he's been fantastic. Um, Of course when it comes to brooklyn i would take brooklyn in the series right i might take brooklyn easily in the series i might say i might predict them to win in five but i wouldn't be like absolutely shocked if i were wrong like if the sixers won a tough series i think that there's a lot of ifs there there's a lot of things that have to go right but there's no guarantee that everything's not gonna like there's no guarantee that everything that we think could fall apart for brooklyn won't happen. I mean, I don't think there will be a ton of issues because I don't think it's similar to the Clippers situation. Um, George and Leonard are kind of just an awkward fit anyway. I think that Irving and Harden and Durant are like not just three of the best scorers in the league. They're three of the best all around offensive players in the league. And I think because of that, they can kind of play off of each other more than some of these other teams that are going to be more awkward fits with with just guys who score. but that doesn't negate the fact that, like you said, they've barely played together, Um, especially defensively. They have barely played together. So if the Sixers can move them around, have guys get hot from three and the Nets are, you know, not used to playing together on defense, that could be a path to winning for the Sixers. I think Joel's going to get doubled a lot. So I don't think they're going to let Joel be the one to beat them, but that doesn't mean he's not going to get his like, he'll still, you know, be one of the best players, if not the best player in the series and get his points. Um, I agree that the Sixers are better fit than most to cover Brooklyn, but obviously no one is like stopping this team offensively. So um, that just makes me wonder. I mean, going back to like Ben played basically perfect defense on Kawhi a couple years ago, he slowed him down. But when you have a star like that who can really get in the zone, and they're saying, okay, this is you know the time where I need to get points for my team. There's a reason these guys are Hall of Famers. If you put Ben on Durant, which I'm not sure he will be, he may be on Harden. But, you know, these guys are going to get points. They'll get maybe fewer, and Ben can slow him down. He's probably the best defender in the league, but they're going to get their points. And you still have, even if you're playing, you know, to, maybe you have Tobias on Durant, and Tobias can't really guard Durant, but he can, he, Tobias is an okay defender, but it's, it's not like a disaster. It's not like you're running better this something. year. He's been much, For much better sure. this year. Yeah, yeah, I but think that, obviously uh, he, it's still he, Durant. Yeah, I
3: mean it's Kevin Durant, and one of the advantages that guys like Kevin Durant and uh, Kawhi Leonard have over your average superstar, even, is just their length is so incredible that like to be able to even if you put one of the best defenders, yeah, exactly, and like to put one of the best defenders in the NBA on them doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to stop them. Like they can just shoot over ninety nine percent of the league, which is an incredible feat at that size, but. I, I just I'm like I look at Milwaukee and I say I'll believe it when I see it. Like I kind of feel it felt the same way about the Sixers coming into the year. I think the Sixers have been, uh, you know, net rating probably will will disagree with me, but also the the Bucks just beat up on bad teams. It's what they do yeah. every year. And I look at the 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 Bucks when they play against high level competition, and I I don't think that they've fared all that well. Like even Boston, who has had their struggles this
4: year. What's that? I said, yeah, Boston killed him.
3: Yeah. Boston killed them and also almost came back and beat them the night, uh, a few nights before. Um, Ultimately, I, I think it comes down to Giannis figuring it out in the playoffs, which he's one of the most talented players in the world. I think he probably can at some point, he'll have that breakthrough moment where it's just like, Oh, well, we had our chance and here's Giannis. And and, and, you know, maybe just because of the way that his game is very similarly to Ben, he will just have struggles in the playoffs. But Drew Holiday definitely gives them a much better shot in for being either the second or third guy than Eric Bledsoe or even, I mean, George Hill was their probably their second or third best player two years ago in that playoff series against the Raptors. And if he can you know he hasn't played in the playoffs that much that is the one thing about Drew Holiday that like i love drew former sixer like great player two way guy like but like him and middleton both have barely uh you know had a a a lot of playoff success like i don't i don't really think that middleton has had any playoff success beyond uh that one game against Miami last year when he k- kind of kept them in it and then drew has barely played in the playoffs but his type of player is like what I think of when I think of a playoff player. So it's possible that he just takes them to that next level. They sacrifice the depth for the regular season to be a playoff team. And we could see that bet pay off, but I've just been saying until they fire Budenholzer, I just don't buy them as legit contenders. I think he's a total fraud. So staying in the east here
1: uh, going around the league and taking a look at some of the trade deadline activity, the heat, of course, did not trade for Kyle Lowry instead they traded for Victor Oladipo they basically traded salary for him. Uh, They have the opportunity to swap draft picks which they will not you know that won't be conveying Um, so they get basically a flyer on Oladipo. um, Which honestly, the more I think about it, I don't think that he's going to put them over the top this year or anything but if i'm them. I'd rather get him right now for nothing and take a look at him and see what he's actually like rather than just paying him this summer and being like, I hope he's who he was in 2018. (laughs) You know, like I would be, I'd be very scared of that contract, you know, sort of sight unseen this summer. So I think that that's a solid move by them. They also acquired former Sixer Nemanja Bialica. They got him very cheaply. Right. Um, And then the Celtics, they traded two second round picks for Evan Fournier. Um, Who I think will help them, but I don't think does much materially for their, you know, playoff fate in any way. Um, And they did not, you know, the Celtics weren't able to get uh, Aaron Gordon or Vucevic or any of the other guys. So, uh, Porter, what do you think about, you know, the moves that the Heat and Celtics have made and uh, do they do anything for you as a Sixers fan?
3: Uh, I was very mad about the Depot and 48 uh, trades just because they gave up nothing to get them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Kelly O'Linick was the only rotation. Oh, and Jeff T, which he was already released by the magic, but they're the only rotation players that were included in these trades. And, and uh, like you said about Depot, like I think if there's one team that can figure out the mystery that has been Victor Oladipo for the past few years, it's probably the Miami Heat. Um, I think they. I, I I hate to give them credit for anything, but uh, I mean the culture is is definitely a real thing. There are a bunch of boomers who you know. All, or there's a Heat
4: like, culture guy?
3: Oh yeah, huge Heat culture guy <laughs> over here. You know, I I I, I basically like. I think the fact that they are located in Miami is a large part of this. Like if they were in Memphis, that no one would give a shit about their culture, but because they have, (laughs) you know, cocaine and the beach and, and all that stuff, then, then people, people buy into it. But, but basically my thing with the, with the Depot thing is like, they potentially got a starter level player maybe a sixth man for nothing. And that just would help any team. Um, And then Bielitsa, I was, he was higher on my stretch four or five uh, target list for the Sixers and they didn't give up anything to get him. So I'm not excited about it, but I don't, I, I don't know. I, I see the Heat as a better playoff team than I do a regular season team, similar to how they were last year. Jimmy Butler takes it up a notch in the playoffs. Bam Adebayo proven to be, he's a good playoff player. Um, if the, it's, it's very similar to the Sixers, if the role players get hot shooting, they could be a very dangerous team. Uh, and another overlooked move that they did was the Trevor Ariza move, which was essentially giving up a anti-Semite for, uh, you know, and, and a future draft pick that's worthless for, uh, at least a rotation player and Trevor Ariza, who plays a very valuable position in that three and D wing type thing. Uh, and then. The Fournier thing, like, I don't think that it's going to take Boston to the next level, but it definitely helps because they just need NBA rotation players like Danny Ainge has done a great job at identifying talent at the top of the draft and, uh, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart like they're awesome players, but like the fact that Kemba isn't the same and then on top of that, like, he's just missed on a few of these mid to late picks other than like Robert Williams, basically, um, them having Evan Fournier who was one of my favorite targets outside of you know the guys that we've mentioned it's unfortunate because they didn't really give up anything and they got uh at similarly to Depot a starter level player maybe a six man who can create his own shot and get to the line and just do things that an NBA veteran can I think he's one of the more underrated players in the league so for some reason everyone seems to hate him but I think he's pretty good
1: yeah um uh one thing I forgot to say about Oladipo, I can't help but think when I look at him in his career, like was 2018 just like an anomalous year? You know, like did he just sort of go off that year and and not be able to sustain it in any other way? Like when you look at every other season, you know, in Orlando or in OKC or you know those subsequent years in Indiana, I just don't know if that's the player you're trading for or going to pay this summer, or if you need to really you know sort of take the median of his results and. Uh, But time will tell, you know, who knows? He might be great in Miami, but uh, Dan, what do you think about, you know, those moves that the Heat and Celtic made?
4: Yeah, they were all good moves. Um, But I'm not sure, I obviously, I think Fournier would have been a a fun acquisition for the Sixers. Uh, But we talked about before, I wouldn't have been super comfortable going after Oladipo. I think at worst, he's giving you less than what Danny Green's giving you now. He's certainly not shooting the ball as well. Um, obviously, at best, he's been an all-star, but like you said, there's really no guarantee, or I don't think it's even probable that you're getting that player. Um, I agree that for the Heat, it's worth a shot. They gave up nothing. They had the cap ability to take him on you know, without giving up rotation players, whereas we really didn't. Uh, so I, I think it's a nice move for them. I think it was a nice pickup for the Celtics, although then the Celtics went on and traded Daniel Tyslater for some reason. Uh, so To dodge the tax. Yeah, exactly. So thank,
3: thank God, thank God that their owner saved some money. I mean, I, 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 I I'm, I'm glad that they decided to pun on the season so that they could, uh, you know, maybe buy, uh, buy a spot on Jeffrey Epstein's plane or something.
4: Gosh, well, yeah, I'm not You can edit that
3: out. Team. I'm sorry. No, we'll leave. No, we, we
1: usually <laughs> add a few Epstein segments. <laughs> so yeah,
4: yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not scared of either team. I would be much more worried about a series with the Heat. I think the Heat are just tougher. I think the Heat are a good playoff team. I think that Robinson and Hero are going to shoot much better than they've shot so far this year. Um, so I, I do think that they're a team that can play well in the playoffs and that it has underperformed so far. Um, but do, they do have, you know, some some time playing together. They, they're probably comfortable playing together um, in a way that, you know, a chemistry way where we talk about, you know, that maybe is the only knock on the Nets besides a general concern of, like, broadly defense um is that you know they have not played together a lot um the heat have been to a finals together with mostly this core um but that being said i think that they overperformed in the bubble last year i don't think that they are as good as they showed i agree that they're probably better suited for the playoffs um and oladipo is a nice pickup um and i wouldn't be like shocked if they beat the sixers it wouldn't be like if the magic beat the sixers or something like they're a good team, but I would definitely pick the Sixers comfortably in that series. So none of those moves really scare me. Yeah. Emily, do you feel similarly about that?
0: Yeah, I agree with Dan. I mean, I think the moves made each of the respective teams better minus the Daniel Tice one. Um, But the like big, the Fournier, the Oladipo, but it doesn't make me afraid of these teams. Like there, there was no like blockbuster moves that I'm like, oh, now the Celtics are the ones to watch in the East. Like, absolutely not i'm not afraid of these teams um and so i'm like make your moves do do your things i don't care
1: yeah so uh the thunder just waved austin rivers i was gonna break the news yeah and it looks like uh the milwaukee bucks are gonna uh take him uh and sign him as a bio guy doc rivers absolutely no interest (laughs) or, or having austin on his team whatsoever he's like i'll see you at thanksgiving other than that god bless like he yeah, just cause... wants his
0: grandkids out of the city and milwaukee's a lovely place so
3: <laughs> yeah but... i
0: think he'll like to see them there
3: yeah um yeah i mean maybe we'll see him in uh either the second round of the conference finals right he
0: can spend so much time with his grandkids for a little bit although fantastic we should be at we'll home we'll be distracted so they... yeah he's
3: fine <laughs> so the thing about the austin rivers pickup is like I, I, I've had him as like an idea, like for the Sixers in the back of my mind prior to us signing Doc, but like, at best he's like a ninth man, I think, this I think that Sixers fans get obsessed with any player that can dribble and kind of shoot, and Austin Rivers as uh so as
4: the Trey Burke guy.
3: Uh, oh yes, absolutely. Uh, I, would, I think Trey Burke's a better player than Austin Rivers. I actually don't even think it's particularly close. I think that Austin Rivers is one of the more overrated. But play- there are a lot of guys that came from those Houston teams. I actually like think that there's like a handful of guys in Milwaukee just got another one in PJ Tucker who are just wildly overrated because they played with James Harden and Chris Paul and were able to just essentially stand in a corner and catch and shoot. Um, and the thing with Austin Rivers is like, I the, like obviously Trey Burke has his issues because of the defense and his size. Like there's some things that he can't help, but Austin Rivers has pretty much been like uh, a replacement level player for his entire career and slightly above maybe. Uh, not that, you know, Trey Burke has been anything fantastic, but I think that Trey Burke in the first year or first round against the Clippers last year was probably better than anything that Austin Rivers has ever done in the playoffs. So I don't know. I mean, they lost DJ Augustine. Maybe it will be nice for them to have another guard off the bench. But at the end of the day, uh, Giannis, Middleton, and Drew are going to be the ones you want with the ball. So
1: yeah. Yeah. And the Sixers really, you know, forgetting about uh, the father-son relationship. The Sixers at this point don't really have minutes for a bench ball handler between, you know, George Hill and, uh, and Shake and the way that Tobias plays with those units. I feel like you know, this isn't really a, a spot that they need to worry about at this point. Famous last year. Yeah, we can't break. fuck up the vibes. No fucking up the vibes with <laughs> family it. drama.
3: No
1: Speaking way. of vibes, mazel tov to Paul Reed, who has secured a, let me just double check here because Derek Bodner tweeted about it.
0: Three years. Uh, Three years yes.
1: minimum. Three yeah. years at the league minimum. The final two seasons are not guaranteed. Well, guess what? They're guaranteed. That's uh, right. I'm guaranteeing <laughs> them right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, he had his two-way contract converted to an nba deal following the trade deadline so now he's just you know this is sort of like the shake milton thing that they did that you know elton brand actually deserves credit for a few years ago shake actually had a really bad summer league but despite that i remember brand extended him and just kept him around cheaply and um uh, i would love to see a lot less mike scott who just can't do anything um i will say I love Dwight Howard. I, you know, like the the game against the Lakers, when Dw- Dwight got tossed for running into Montrez Harrell too many times. Love it. it. Was Give me more of it. Thought it was so fun. I thought it was the best. Uh, yesterday or uh, whatever, Saturday night when they played the Clippers, that seemed like a pretty inexcusable ejection yep. by him because he just kept arguing about this foul from the other end, didn't get back on defense and argued so much to get two technical fouls. So
4: I think he leaves the league in that. Just Definitely. Like- Complaining to the point where he doesn't even go back on defense at all. Yep. Right. But Just also, so – Bozo. Go ahead.
0: Don't we think that the ref was being, like, a little sensitive and the tees were Tony flying – Like, They teed up to bias last – or Saturday mm-hmm. night. That is a sweet man. He – it's like, what are you doing? when Seth I, too. When these people are getting technical, something is wrong. And that's why I'm like, it's not – this is, this is, it's a conspiracy. Tobias is
1: like quoting the Iliad and they gave him a technical <laughs> of I don't really understand. Um, they, uh, so yeah, no, that was a Tony brothers game. It was excruciating to watch. Um, I hated it, but just in the playoffs, we can't have this Dwight Howard stuff Agreed. like that too much. Cause that could really like fuck over
3: you know, a game in the playoffs, which means a lot. So, so can we call Dwayne Dwayne. Dedman? Can we get someone to be a third center? Like, I just feel like the the thing is that we have to learn with Doc is like, he's just not going to play rookies. Like, and I don't even, I actually, uh, outside of Isaiah Joe, I don't think that any rookies on this team, uh, and probably Paul Reed would be an upgrade over Mike Scott, but that's not Mm -hmm. really saying anything. But, uh, but my thing is like, like a doc doesn't play young players as much as he plays veterans. He doesn't trust them as much. And that's a reality that we have to come to grips with, but like, basically like I love Maxi. I think he's got a lot of potential. I love Reed. I think that he has a lot of potential, but for right now, like it's probably better that we're playing veterans in a lot of these situations. Um, Even though I'm of always been like a big, like play the young guy, like, Obviously, Rashawn Holmes over Amir Johnson is like the first thing that comes to my mind. But yeah, but but it's it's basically just like like I think that those kind of development things can be done in the off season, can be done uh, with guys in training camp and stuff like that, and uh, that's where they're going to get like a lot better as opposed to throwing them into the fire and maybe a playoff series or something. <laughs> so yeah, but we might have to.
1: Yeah, I, I do agree that. Doc is definitely stubborn in a way about which guys he trusts and which guys he doesn't. Um, and I think that he's not alone in that. If you look at coaches who are in the league for twenty years, you're pretty,
4: Brett Brown. pretty
1: Rep Brown. Yeah. Brad Stevens. One. Uh yeah, I mean, and and really what you're trading for that is that the Sixers are first in the East. And it's like Doc's doing a great job. I would love to see a lot more Paul Reed, but what are you yeah. gonna do?
0: I think that we saw that like trust thing earlier in the season with Matisse, too. I mean, I know that he said it was because he was getting his conditioning back and he had that ankle or I think it was. but I think it was he Matisse like hadn't earned his trust yet earning the minutes. and now we're at the point where like he does trust Matisse and he goes to him and wasn't willing to part with him in a trade. so it it's not like people I don't think there's an issue with the trust because it's not like he doesn't give trust. people just need to earn it. and it, I think then it's fine.
1: I agree. And and he also, I think, will tolerate more down games from somebody like Danny Green or Seth Curry, who's been in the league a while, rather than somebody like Maxi, who can be a little more volatile, given his uh, youth in the league. The other thing about Doc that we've talked about that I really like is that uh, he will go with the hot hand. He will, like, in terms of closing units, like, if Shake is playing a lot better than Curry, Shake's going to close the game. And I think that's uh, a really good sort of uh, flexibility that that he showed. So in conjunction with the Paul Reed move, uh, the Sixers uh, replaced his vacant two way spot with Mason Jones uh, who went to college I believe with Isaiah Joe Porter I think you know a little bit about Mason Jones didn't he used to be 500 pounds or something Is yeah something he was like he
3: was he was uh he has a crazy story his brother actually was uh he played for Duke about six or seven years ago he was like a huge high recruit coming out of high school that kind of flamed out in college and now he plays in Europe but he's his younger brother and he was, uh, was very overweight and uh, was able to didn't even start playing basketball until his senior year of high school, which is just like, how many guys do you hear these stories about where you're just like, how did they figure this out? And like, he went from in like three years went from not playing organizational basketball to being in the NBA, which is just like an insane story, especially when you consider all the weight loss and, and all that stuff. But, He's a, uh, the biggest concern about him is he's not incredibly athletic. So he's a scorer, but he's just more like a crafty ball handler shooter can get to the rim, run a little bit of pick and roll. Like if you look at his synergy stats from his last year at Arkansas, like he was one of the most efficient scorers in all of college basketball last year in the sec, which is like the best conference, arguably. So Uh, He definitely brings a lot uh, to the table that way. There's definitely some concerns about his defense and his athleticism, which – I honestly am not that worried about, I think he's just like a developmental guy and like to have him in house, he's, he's, uh, you know, boys with Isaiah Joe, like their friends. Like, I think it's, it's good in terms of just like using our two way spots usefully and like yeah. using those end of, end of bench guys to like develop actual NBA talent. And I think he does, he scored 23 points in a game earlier this year, had like 18 in another game, like he, because of his shooting and, and because of the fact that he can score like, he might be decent as a secondary option eventually if he is able to develop. But the last thing I want to say about him, which makes him so fucking cool is the fact that he coming into the draft, he wasn't expected to be, he was expected to be like a mid to late second round pick or undrafted. He ended up going undrafted. but he said on the record, I'm the best player in this draft and that I will show everyone who doesn't draft me. I swear to God. And I'm like, to me, and, and actually I will say like, there are some draft guys I trust that were like kind of high on him. Like, I don't know if you know Will Rucker from Twitter, mm-hmm. but Will Will does his big board every year, and Will had him in the top 25. He had I he had everyone we picked in the top 30, I believe. Uh and then also Mason Jones was in his top 25. Said he thought he should have been a late first round pick, but because of the athleticism and the fact that he thinks he's the best player in the draft, I think that might have turned some teams off. But character-wise, he's like totally like a chill guy. I just think he's totally really kind. He's like Paul Reed. Like, he's just got a lot of confidence in his ability. And I just love that. Like, I think young players, especially undrafted guys, to say that, like, if he has the work ethic, like, I think he could turn into a decent NBA player. I love it. Love, love, love the pickup. Yeah, I think it's so,
1: I love the sort of revamped garbage time guys the Sixers have. Terrence Ferguson is gone. Thank God. That's really yes. was hoping for that for a while. Vincent Poirier always looked like he was auditing a class. So like I wasn't really <laughs> sure if he was on the team or sort of somebody's uncle, but uh, he's gone. Uh, Dan, he was thinking about his think? hot
3: wife. Does he have a pretty wife? Oh, my God. His wife is like a model. She's gorgeous. And God he bless. and he, Good for them I mean, yeah, He he he's a total legend. They call him in Boston. They call him Vinny Sexy Pants. So, whoa. Yeah.
1: How about it? Um, Dan, uh, anything on Paul Reed or Mason Jones or uh, any of that?
4: What do you got? Well, it's great to see Paul Reed get that get that contract. Um, we were so sad when he was sad to start the year that he wasn't playing. <laughs> and he was like, you know, he was doing sad tweets, you know, going to have to get it out of the mud again. And I was just like, oh, I love this guy. I feel bad for him. But he did. You know, he, he's, he's, he's kind of made it, really. I know he hasn't gotten a ton of NBA minutes, but he won – every imaginable g-league award and right. and he has looked like pretty fine to me in the minutes he's played even though he's still just a rookie um he's definitely not the worst player on the team like porter said like i, I would it's never going to happen but i would definitely take him over mike scott in whatever minutes mike scott's going to be getting um and i'm just really happy for him i um think i mean the contract is like a hinky special shitty contract but for you know a guy who was just in the g-league you know there's no guarantee you make it from there i think it's awesome to see him to see him get that deal
1: yeah emily uh i know that you're a big paul Reed fan um i imagine you're pretty excited
0: very excited like i said i'm gonna personally guarantee his last two years of that contract (laughs) i won't be paying for it i'm just going to personally guarantee it (laughs) and yeah i love paul Reed. i love everything about him Yeah. yeah
1: um so the last thing we do every week we we predict the upcoming games of the week and and we are keeping track. I, I might be in the lead, I'm not sure. Uh Emily's gonna update us on uh how we did last week. And then Porta, we'd love to have you predict the coming week's games uh with us here today. So uh, Emily, give us an update on how we did this past week and where we're at overall.
0: Okay. So Dan actually <laughs> look at that face, actually went three and zero this week. So he is sitting at 30 and 20. Uh, Steve and I both predicted the Sixers to win everything. So we both went two and one. So I'm at 32 and 18 and Steve is at 26 and 24, continuing to add to that win percentage. So I'm proud of you, buddy. Thank you so much. (laughs)
1: Um all right cool so this upcoming week the week ends on April 4th. All right. So what we're going to have Tuesday the Sixers play the Nuggets. Boy, it would be fun if Joel came back for that game, but um, I don't think he's coming back in the on the road in Denver. Uh so yeah, I don't think that'll be happening. That's Tuesday they play at Denver, then they play at Cleveland and then a home back to back on Saturday and Sunday against the uh, uh Minnesota and against Memphis. So that's it. We have at Denver, at Cleveland, uh, home against Minnesota and Memphis. Uh, Porter, as our guest of honor, I, I, you know, give it away to you. Choose choose who you think wins those games.
3: Uh, I definitely think we're going to lose to the Nuggets. Um, I just, oh God. Uh, I, I, I honestly think you have to start Dwight. He was probably the best Jokic defender in the NBA last year. So, oh, is that right? Oh my God, at the playoffs, he was like a, a Jokic was absolutely on fire the first two rounds of the playoffs. And Dwight slowed him down and frustrated him in a way I've never seen him frustrated before. So, oh, that's great. I didn't so remember that. I would hope that he can start, uh, which you'll never hear me say again. But I'll say lose to the Nuggets. Uh, they have they cheat anyway. They have that you know, mile high thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the I'll say we got to beat the Cavs at some point this year. So I'm going to say we're 0-2 against the Cavs. I'll, I'll give them a win there. Uh, I hope if Joel is back for either these Cavs or Timberwolves games, we beat the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are absolutely miserable, even though they've been a little bit better since they fired their coach. Uh, and then I'll say we win against the Grizzlies too, three and one. Uh, if Joel comes back, I feel way more confident about those three wins. But if he doesn't come back, I still feel somewhat confident. So,
1: yeah, uh, Emily, what do you think?
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna say they win all of them. There we go. This is what I do every week, Porter. I just pick them to win because then my record will be the same as theirs and it'll probably be Dan and Steve. And it's been working
3: for me so far. Well, I'm, um, pa- I'm surprised that Dan doesn't pick against them every single game because he started he, to. He, he's come so far since the beginning of the season, like mm-hmm. end of like we have made Dubai Dan, won Dan won a o- somewhat o- positive Sixers fan. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's been
4: quite a journey. <laughs> so been. speaking of that, Dan, what do you choose? All right. 0-4. I I <laughs> I think we go three and one. I think, I think we lose to the Nuggets. Uh, just too tough of a game. Um, the Cavs give us a hard time, but also I bet on them to beat the Lakers the other night and they lost some kind of piss. So I'm going to pick us to beat the Cavs. Um, there's no way we lose to the Timberwolves. Um, Don't say that alone. I, I mean it. We're, that's a win. That's a win. I feel good about that. Um, all right. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but all right. <laughs> Then yeah, I do think we beat the Grizzlies. Um I think that if Joel is for some reason not back by then, we lose that game because the second half of back to back. But I think he'll be back. So I think we win the
0: game. I do have to say I use I use Keith's intel on the that Joel's coming back this weekend. And so I bought tickets to the Grizzlies game. Oh,
3: nice,
1: nice. While we've been doing this, Mm -hmm. can you pay attention to?
0: I have my headphones. That's
1: insider trading. (laughs) Actually. It's like that legit insider trading. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, that's great. Um, I, yeah, I think that they won't be able to win the Denver game, although I don't think it's impossible just because of how good they've been. I think they're now seven and two without Joel. So I don't think they don't stand a chance. Denver hasn't been unbeatable this year, but still I think the altitude's never easy and uh, who knows. Uh, I, you know, Usually what I do is I pick the Sixers to lose on Sunday because usually they make us talk about a loss late Sunday night before we record and put it out. But I do think they'll be at home and I think Joelle will be back. So I'm going to agree and go three and one uh, with the same choices as as Dan and Porter. You Um, guys guys, have a
0: chance to pick a game up on me this week.
1: See, that'd be great. Um, Do you guys have anything
3: else here uh, before we get out of here? I do just want to say Re Paul Reed. Um he actually had the second best PER in the history of the G League behind only Christian Wood and had almost identical stats. So unbelievable. There you go. Yeah. Love
4: that. That's really love great. Christian Wood too.
1: Yes, yes love him too. Process um, legend. Yeah. So Porter, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um uh obviously we can follow you on twitter at trobro dude what else would
3: you you know you pick a topic podcast where F- we it's fine to it? topic but it's fine i'm it's, it's such a, a piece of shit i'm sorry it doesn't matter because i'm actually changing the name of the podcast soon i i started okay. the podcast as kind of a vague whatever and it's kind of turned into a philly sports thing so i will be changing the name of it but i'm gonna wait because i've been plugging it on a few podcasts so you can find it on apple Podcasts, google spotify all that stuff find a topic podcast. Um, and yeah, follow me on Twitter at Trill Brody. Thank you so much. I had so much fun with you guys talking about this and I I'm glad that we were able to collab. Yes.
1: Great seeing you. And, uh, great to see both of you guys and Emily, congrats on the tickets you bought. Uh, <laughs> good to see you guys. And, and I'm in we'll the lower to level
0: soon. again. So look for me on TV
1: can you not brag about all the money you make as a doctor can you I, just I I heard? i'm in
0: i'm in grad school i, make I love to say money. emily's
1: a doctor she's a doctor <laughs> all right good seeing you guys bye yeah.
0: See <laughs> morning